With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For some, sports in Nebraska is more like a religion. And for those devout followers, there's Church of the Corn with Zach Santi, Alex Drake, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone, 1620thezone.com and The Zone app. Church of the Corn starts now. Here are Zach, Alex, and Fitz. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Church of the Corn, folks, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We are excited to be joined by everybody, uh, Zach, Fitz, and Drake here today. A um, little breakdown for the day. We've got our two uh, teams for the Big Scripture Talk. We're going to do the biggest storylines, you know, that we've had this week in, in fall camp. Um, we've got a breakdown of the wide receiver room, kind of who we think our top six are going to be. Uh, recruiting with Brian Munson, and then we'll finish up with the offering plate today. But let's start off with some of the big news. Oh. Hold on. Oh, okay. What's up? We have an announcement that we missed last week. Chance is no longer with us. That's that's true. We ha- we have to introduce our our new producer, Conrad. Say hello, Conrad. Hello, folks. Conrad, we're gonna we're gonna need a little bit more more effort and interaction this week out of you. I mean, I'm going to try. I, right. I make no guarantees. I know very little about Husker football, um, but I conversed with my Sherpa, and he told me that I need to present myself a little bit more here. Yeah, perfect, perfect. You know, you've been dropping some dynamite ideas during our 15-minute our warm-up session in here. Uh, Fitz yeah. is stretching in the corner. I don't know <laughs> if he plans on doing some kicking, but uh, let's get after it. <laughs> Perfect. Let's get rolling for the day. Um, just big, big stories for the week. Um, I don't know if you guys seen what was going on with Matthew Stafford and his elbow. Um, sounds like, well, I mean, I guess what do you guys think? Something to be concerned about? I mean, he, from what I've heard, his, he could play if he needs to, but there's there's quite a bit of soreness in it. For a quarterback, that's usually not a good sign. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm not worried about it yet. Obviously, there's still a few weeks before the season starts. And, you know, pretty sure the Patriots went on to win a Super Bowl when Tom Brady was suspended for the first four games. So, I, I'm i not totally worried until, you know, he's into missing six, seven games potentially. Uh, Sean, Sean McVay will figure something out in the meantime if, if Matt can't play to start, I'm just, I'm not worried yet. Um, he clearly had the longest season of his career last year, so uh, he needs a little bit more rest. That's all that I, I, I'm sure he's he's banged up, he's sore, but I think it's just a lot of maintenance. You get the you give your veterans those those days off, um, get them opportunity to get in there, and if he can if he can do side sessions, if he can do um, kind of the, the small stuff, then he just say, sounded like from the beginning. 
that they were just pulling him out of team stuff right now. And I think once they need him to get back in, like you said, if, if he needed to play t tomorrow, he'd be ready and he'd play tomorrow. So uh, a couple days before the game, uh, he'll start getting in. Uh, I think they'll be all right. So you don't think it's really going to have any a big effect on the beginning part of the season with him sitting out? I mean, they're going into training camp now. Then you've got the preseason. So, I mean, realistically, you've got a month before you need him to be, I'd say three weeks, before you need him to be ready to go into action. You guys find just giving him a couple weeks off to say, hey, take your time. You just won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think he has eight weeks to be ready personally. I mean, yeah, I don't know exactly where their bye week falls, but if it's in the first six games of the season, that's that's an extra week there for him to get ready. I don't think I don't think you rush him back unless you are absolutely terrified of the three quarters of your schedule the the last three quarters of your schedule if you can handle the first quarter without him um, then you're not really worried at all uh usc made a i think a huge hire yesterday um with ed stewart stealing him from the big 12 offices um as a executive senior associate ad and he will be overlooking the football department as one of his, his main tasks. Awesome to see a former Husker making his way up in the world. I think this is an absolute dynamite hire for uh, USC and Lincoln Riley, um, especially having him overlooking the athletic department. It's always great seeing a football guy work his way up there. Um, has anyone had a better offseason than USC? Well, and I that goes together, and I know where you're going with this. They new coach, um, good quarterback, wide receiver coming over from Pitt. And now the, they head into the Big Ten starting the 2024 season. And now they bring Ed Stewart over. And his connection and knowledge with realignment is a big part of why he's there. And so um, I, would, I would imagine that not only working with the football department as in an um, administrative role with realignment, but I, I could also see him um, – whether it's just providing insight, uh, information, even probably just a couple of recommendations on other hires on who's going to come in and help. Um, because it sounds like, and this is a little bit of a um, kind of getting away from the main subject here, but the idea of not wanting to play those late night Saturday football games, stuff like that. And so the Big Ten kind of made it sound like they didn't want to, but if he can, if they can, he can work with some of the logistics, he can find a way to um, kind of get those schedules, TV networks, all of that. I, th I think it's a it's a it's a boom for USC. It's it's a great opportunity for him. He'd been in the Big Twelve offices since two thousand six, so um, he's on his way up. You just you know he's going to be an AD uh, somewhere, if not maybe a conference commissioner at some point in time. Yeah, uh, a couple things to build off of what Fitz said. First off, I think the Big Ten not wanting any of those late-night games is crazy because late-night Pac-12 football and even late-night Pac-12 basketball, no matter how much I don't think the co the conference at the time is really in the conversation for anything, uh, it's some of my favorite football to watch because it's really all you have to choose from that late at night. Uh, but the thing I find most interesting about this is, you know, at least – the last two times Nebraska has been looking for an a an athletic director, Ed Stewart's name has kind of been floated out there. And it seems like he had no interest in coming to Nebraska each of the last two times. Is that because he doesn't feel ready for that job or um, 
he wasn't comfortable with where Nebraska was at that point in time. I don't know. Uh, I just find it really interesting that he just seemed to have had no interest in taking a higher gig than an associate athletic director position at his alma mater. Does it, does it anything point to the big 12 being on shakier ground than they are currently if he's ready to get out or, I mean, that's just, you kind of want to, you start to look at that and say, well, you know what, before this whole thing drops and everyone's looking for another opportunity, why don't I just kind of take care of myself? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think that that's kind of where I, my mind was was going with that. Um, I, I'm excited for, for him, first and foremost. Uh, I think he's going to do a great job at USC and kind of help settle all of this, and especially coming up with scheduling and things like that. Deshaun Watson. Uh, this is a situation, isn't it? It's one word for it. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a bunch of words that we can call it, but we'll call it a situation right now. I think most of us were, I don't know, I'm not going to say shocked at six games because I thought he was only going to get four, and maybe six was more than I thought he was even going to get. So um, NFL is, is appealing that six-game suspension. Uh, I, I think I read NFL wanted either indefinite or full season. So who do you think is going to win this arbitration? Because he's get, he'll be starting the season. I mean, I don't I don't think the arbitration process finish up before the season. Well, he'll he'll start the season on suspension then. I, I guess he could go on the commissioner's list at that point, couldn't he? Uh, ooh, I don't know about the bureaucracy that is the NFL and how, how all that works with these special arbitrators. Um, what I will say is I do, I agree with the NFL appealing the, the decision. Uh, I just think, I think the way the NFL and the NFL P players association is structured has made this a bat an even worse look for the NFL. Um, because I know there's there's guys in that players association, including high up in it, that don't agree with the players association fighting for Deshaun Watson and trying to protect him, but they have to because it's the rule. Uh, it's just it's so weird, and I know there's people that aren't happy about this on both sides. It's just it's it's a wild story to me. It's a wild situation. Well, and they they tried to kind of to your point, distanced themselves a little bit because they they came out ahead of time and said, we're not going to appeal this, the NFLPA. And they essentially lobbied the NFL and the and the offices, uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Goodell, to do the same. Well, it comes out. Um, I will say that it's, it's a plus that he didn't tab himself to do this. He actually f- found um, a former, I think, governor of New Jersey, that's that's doing this, which a for, a former uh, attorney state general, prosecutor yeah, or state prosecutor, attorney general, um, and that's at least that's a good look at it because it's same thing they had um, it was outside of of everything the the first go around. I just I still find it amazing that in all total he's going to lose on that on the six game suspension for money. He's only going to lose he's going to lose less than have five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's crazy that, that that contract, that all that guaranteed money, good for him. We've gone down this road, but good for his agents. Um, again, Cleveland Browns, front office, 
what are you doing? What are you thinking? I, I, yeah, I, Fitz, you're you're exactly right. I think the fact how little money he's going to lose makes that contract in the Browns organization look even worse because that contract was clearly built to protect his money from from this season. So, so Zach, if they say, and the, I think the coach has said, oh, we got to get him some practice. We've got to get him in there. What are you doing? Or do you even know who the backup in Cleveland is? And are you just giving them first team reps knowing that it's six games minimum? Why are we even, we need to win those games? Yeah, I believe the backup in Cleveland is Jacoby Brissett, um, who is a very, <clears throat> very experienced backup in the NFL. And he's filled in for guys like Tom Brady. Um, gosh, who's. He was at the Colts and uh, for, Yep, okay, Andrew Luck, I think he filled in for a couple of times because Luck had some some injury problems there too. So he's filled in for some big names, some big talented guys. And for the most part, he's done as well as you could expect him to. Um, he's, a, he's a talented quarterback with a big arm. But is he Deshaun Watson? No, but I think with all they've got, they've got talent in the backfield. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I, I know I sound like every Nebraska fan around here. But if they can just get behind that run game, go over the top, uh, just just enough to keep that defense honest, I think they could finish 500 in their first six, hopefully. I mean, that's best-case scenario is 500 for them, um, I think, with Brissett. And if they do that and, and you get Watson back after eight, I mean, they, they've still got a shot at the playoffs. That's that's a tough division, though. Um with with that being said, that division is something I wanted to bring up with the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. Um, some missing training camp with an appendectomy. Since we're talking about big quarterbacks missing time this year, is this something that we should be worried about? Is old Joe B missing time? Those again, I'm not I'm not a doctor. I have stayed in a Holiday Inn Express before, but the idea of those being minimal procedures right now it you know you're not too worried about it i mean you yeah. you you get in you get out you heal you you get your fluids back you get your strength back you just kind of get your way to going and it's not it's not going to i don't think it's going to impact anything yeah full recovery time on an appendectomy is two to four weeks worst case scenario he misses the first game of the season to make sure he's 100 percent healthy uh i'm not worried about it yeah, it, I'm, I'm excited to just see him back on the field, get working with this team again. He's he's a quarterback that I'm excited to see what kind of jump he can make this year. Um, we'll be right back here with the big scripture here on 1620 The Zone. Now back to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. Gather around as we do our next team breakdown on the big scriptures as we try to preach the gospel about some other teams in the Big Ten, let's start talking about the Maryland Terrapins. Such an exciting team. Actually, very exciting team. Um, And they had a polar opposite season last year, starting off 4-0 and then finishing 7-6. So they had a really, really rough stretch uh, the second half of the year. Tough schedule, but it, yeah. Uh, had the 13th ranked passing attack in the country, uh, rushing attack, not so consistent. Do you think they can, I guess, get the offense balanced and improve on that mark of last year? Do they want to? That That's exactly what I was going to say. Do they want to balance? I, they, I think they are right now 
in in passing mode. They love that idea. Um, you know, 26 touchdowns, close to 4,000 yards through the air. Um, they've got a couple guys coming back, and it and it gets it done. And it's 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 up tempo. It it's creative. Um, you know, it it does that. But at the same time, that worked really well against your less than stellar teams. And then once they got up to teams that could compete a little bit, whether it was putting up the same amount of points or just shutting them down, they struggled. And I, which ultimately gets back to the to the question. Can they, do they want to get some balance on the running game? And if they do, what does that look like for their team? Yeah, I mean, so it looks different, but in theory, this offense kind of operates very similar to a Colt Brennan, Colt, Colt Brennan Hawaii team back from when we were growing up or an Alex Smith, Urban Meyer, Utah, where it's a lot of short intermediate passing and letting those guys make plays. Again, it looks a little bit different, but it operates that same way. I don't think they have any desire to change that. Um, I I think that this staff and this program feels that they are dropping Big Ten games because their defense is always rebuilding. So I think, yeah, they work on getting the run game involved a little bit more, but I don't know that it's necessarily a handoff run game. It is some lateral passes some swing passes that us nebraska fans love from the last four years i i think they try and get the backfield involved more but not necessarily run in between the tackles yeah a lot of a lot of people say that get these short passing games is an extension of your run game so if you're able to get that on a consistent basis they've got some explosive guys in the backfield but going kind of back to what you what you guys said talia tagovailoa is back for another season he put up over four thousand yards and 26 touchdowns can he be better this year? I mean, for a Maryland, for a quarterback in the country, that's pretty darn impressive. Well, they got a transfer from Florida. Eighty, he had eighty-five catches last year, nine times over the last three seasons. Um, Copeland, yes, and so Jacob Copeland, and so he's 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 a threat. He's a downfield deep threat too, and I think that, and it's it's not a bad thing. Um, and as as Husker fans, we obviously resonate with this that. We we know what we like and we know what we think we want to see, Do but, we? It, but it doesn't always doesn't always work. Or we're going to fight about it at least and we're talk s- about we're it. We're split in half, but, but yeah, yeah, it's you know half think one thing, half think the other. We're divided. We, yeah, um, it's awesome as a fan base, but when you're as good as you were in that passing attack, and Coach Loxley has that going, his staff, and you have the person, the engine that's behind that, you're going to attract other players. And what they've attracted now right goes right to that to that offense. And so, you know, they didn't get a transfer of a of a stud running back. And so the problem is if they can't get that right now they're sitting at right at about four yards a carry, which isn't very high. It's it's you know, I'd I'd say if they could dump that up to six, maybe seven, just because that means that you're getting some longer runs. You're also some uh, sustaining more drives, things like that. I th- I think that will bode well for them. Yeah, I I also think that, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Florida transfer. I think he is a piece that that offense um, was missing to an extent. They they have talented wide receivers, and they have for the last couple of years. 
But I don't know that they've had that talent where, you know, I, they haven't had a guy that can take the top off a of defense that's also going to catch 85 balls a year. They've had one guy that can do one thing and three guys that do the other thing, whereas some of their new receivers seem like they can do more of everything, which just makes that passing attack that much more efficient. Um, you know, we can look at – and I hate – throwing Nebraska out there, but I think it's the easiest way to compare it. A lot of the times last year, there was a couple of wide receivers. I'm going to use Omar Manning as an example. If Omar Manning was on the field, odds are we were going to run it at on that play because he was one of our best blocking wide receivers. Um, And on this, for Maryland last year, they had a couple of guys when they were on the field, you knew it was basically going to be a go route. That, that guy wasn't really a threat to run an out or a slant. And now they have more guys that can do all of it, and I think they're just going to steer more into the pass game. If I give you 4,100 yards, would you take an over and under for Tagovailoa this year? I'm going to take an over. I'd take an over. Over? Because I don't, I don't think they – there's – you know they're going to throw, and they're going to throw often, and, you know, they, they get a 500-yard game against a suboptimal team and they do that a couple times they're you know they're on their way so um their offensive line is built they're all back they do their job they're not graders obviously but they're going to pass block and they're going to they're into the fit and i think when drake talked about um the ideas of um mountain west little pac 12 you know texas tech all that stuff that type of of offense and and how they're moving the ball that's what that's what it is yeah and i think Fitz is right. I think early on in the year where they have some games that they can win, they're really going to try and run it up to build up that confidence because they did end last year on a sour note. Um, and you can kind of look back at last year, and they had a couple of really big wins against lesser opponents, but they were wins where they took the foot off. Uh, I think in those games, they're going to try and look a lot more like a, you know, two, 2010, 2011 Oregon where Tug of Ilo is not going to come out until they're up by 40 points in, in the fourth quarter as opposed to coming out when they're up 20 at halftime or something like that. Um, talking about that receiving core, uh, Rakeem Jarrett, who was the number one last year for him, uh, 62 receptions, and by like I said, by far away, they're number one. Copeland will probably be their two this year, or 1A, 1B, just depending on how you're looking at that. If I give you, just because I'm into over-unders apparently this week, he hit 62 last year. If I give you 77 and a half, I know that's a big jump. It's essentially 15 receptions. Would you take the over or the under on that? 77 I'm, I'm, and a half. I'm going to say under. Uh, 62 receptions is, is a huge number in its own right. Uh, I think we'd be we'd kill for one of our returners to, to co be coming back with 62 receptions. I think he's in the 70-ish range. I think, I think he does improve, but you have some – you have some other really talented receivers coming in that weren't there last year that are going are gonna to take some of those extra targets away. I'm going to take the over. Uh, 12 games, he was at 62. You're talking just a little over five per game. He'd only have to jump that up to, you know, roughly, you know, seven. Uh, seven per game would get him, what, to 84? And so um, I think with, with a lot of the, the quick throws that they make, they get it in. He could, you know, it could be one of those where three three downs in a row, three plays in a row, they just a, a quick hitter to him, and they get two or three yards, and that's just kind of the stuff that they do. 
and you know the the idea that some of those guys could take some throws some catches away i completely agree but at the same time we we also see it where if he got 62 and a half catches last year and he was the guy and now they've got other guys to take some of that attention away i think it opens up maybe even a little bit more um so i'm going to take the i'm going to take the overs and i'm going to say he gets exactly 81 i'm not sure why but it sounded fun i like it yeah they're just such a strange team to me because I think they are going to operate on the air raid principles, um, and I just don't know if the defense is good enough. They're, I think they're at a five and a half, five point five wins on the year. It's tough to say that they'll get back to bowl eligibility. Um, I, I think they will, barely. I think they'll just go over on the total of the year. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, that's just kind of a gut feeling with well, them. Well, they're at Michigan, at Michigan. They're at Michigan, Michigan State, they have a home, at Wisconsin, at Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, they have, they're probably hating Nebraska right now because it feels like they've gotten their schedule. So congratulations. Must have got mixed up in the mail. Exactly. It's like, oh, this is, and we're going to see a change next week. But um, that was a joke, people. They're not switching. The, well, I shouldn't even say that. It could happen. Could happen. But I, I just... You know, but again, you look at those games like your Purdue's, and you know Purdue could should be the favorite in that game. Well, then Purdue falls away, or Maryland just doesn't even compete, and it just you know goes down that way. So, I I agree. Bowl eligibility is going to be tough for Maryland this season. I have them at six and six, um, but there are three games on that schedule that I think can flip them. Fitz brought up Purdue. Uh, I actually think. Sorry, there, there's five games on that schedule that I think could go either way uh, just because all both teams and bo- all those games are, are coin flip themselves. Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, and Penn State, and, and Rutgers, I think are all kind of toss-up games for them depending on what's happening for each team at that point. I have them at 6-6 six and six, beating Rutgers last game of the year to get them bowl eligible. Uh, but I, I do see a world where they could potentially end up 8-4 and four or 4-8 four and eight really easily. Beautiful. Well, when we get back, we'll return with part two of the Big Scriptures with the Penn State Nittany Lions here on 1620 The Zone. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. While we're at break, we had a caller call in, uh, one of the church of the congregation uh originals uh double b what's going on buddy how are you hey guys how are you doing this morning we are we're doing fabulous we're here just uh just hanging out uh preaching as we normally do how are you doing my man well i'm doing good i'm kind of in your neck of the woods this weekend we are uh camping out at lewisville oh nice yeah just a little bit south of where we're at but we like hearing it so what you got for us today oh just to let you guys know i uh, really like what you're doing here on saturday just uh you did three games for Husky games, and uh, what you're doing on your podcast really is uh, bring some entertainment and some information. I'm really just uh, I'm blown away by the guests that you get on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Double B. We appreciate that, man. Uh, we we always appreciate the support. Hey, uh, give us your quick outlook for Penn State this year. We want to hear from you. From Penn State, I got to be honest. I'm a Husker fan, so I don't follow a lot of those other teams. Um, but, you know, they uh, they should be pretty solid. They seem like they are every year. And uh, considering, I thought James Franklin might be 
gone from there. You know, before last year, I was kind of surprised he came back, but uh, I think they'll be they'll be salty and solid for sure. That's the Penn State, uh, almost like a, a yearly rite of passage. How about then the Nebraska Cornhuskers? What are you thinking? Uh, your level of excitement, your level of uh, confidence. Where are you at? Cautiously on, optimistic. On August eighth, fourteen. Well, you, I, how many I, uh, days before? Where are we at? <laughs> August sixth, man. Anyway, go ahead. I uh, I have to be honest. I'm not one. You know, for the last probably when Frost first came here, I was I was swimming in the bat of tell you and uh since since he's kind of had a rough go of it and, and i you know i understand he had a total rebuild to do but i'm just not drinking the kool-aid yet i think this year year five i want to see it on the field now i'm excited with all the players we got in the transfer portal and the new coaches uh, particular special teams coordinator to me two things will, will make the defense set for a failure and that will both hinge on special teams play and offensive line if that offensive line click there's no reason we can't, you know, dominate teams on offense. I think you're right there. You're preaching to the choir. And then also, you know, you got the punter with it with the double B for initials. You got special teams coach with double B. I mean, special teams is, is got to be ready to go this year. They they can't let me down. No, I, I... double B the special teams guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was a little stout uh, fat punter in high school too, so. Uh, such teams always had a special place in my heart. So, Awesome, Double B. Hey, man, we appreciate you giving us a call, and we're going to go ahead and break those down. Just a couple of things that you brought up. We appreciate you giving us a call, my man. No problem. You guys have a good one. I'll, uh, I'll keep listening and supporting you guys all the way. Awesome. Thanks, sir. Uh, right on. Thanks. Have a great camping trip. So one thing that Double B brought up was it's something that we've talked about the entire preseason. It's been the offensive line, and I think there's there's still a lot of moving parts. With Riola, it seems like there's being good things said, but we've heard that the last few camps as well about that offensive line. Are what are you expecting week one out of that offensive line? Are you expecting the same five guys that trot out there, snap one of week one in Ireland to trot out there week one, uh, or sorry, week three for a snap? Uh, I do, and again, this has been my caveat with the offensive line the whole off season. I think. Game one and game two is going to be the same starting five. I'll separate injuries. If there's a guy that isn't ready week one, but he's ready week three, he'll start. Vice versa, somebody gets hurt week one, obviously they're not going to start game two. Uh, I'm just less concerned with the offensive line going into this season as I have been historically just because we've had the opportunity to talk to so many of the defensive line guys and, you know, Jamari Butler said it on on our podcast. Day one of spring ball, that offensive line came in and and kicked our butts, and they were ready to go. They have a totally different mindset, and that's what they've been missing. So I'm I'm more excited with that offensive line. I don't think you're going to get the answers that we're all looking for on the offensive line week one, just because Northwestern is still inexperienced on that front seven, and we manhandled them already once last year. I am – whomever goes out for the first five, I don't, I don't think center is going to change. I think when we get the, the, the two guards set up, I think those aren't going to be changing. You know, maybe – you know, some guys are going to be coming in, but I think we're going to identify our, our starters, and I think there's going to be a good 
chance that if they've earned that game one, they're probably going to try to stick with it. If Prohaska uh, is is back like it seems and he stays healthy and, and can do that, my concern is is Ben Hart. What is Who is the Ben Hart that we're going to get? Is Raiola going to get, get out of him his full potential? Is he going to be that? Can he be that right tackle? Um, I think that's going to be the one. If there's going to, if there were a change, um, non-health injury connected, I think that might be the only thing that that comes into play. And I think the schedule really. I, I now we're off topic from where we were supposed to be this segment, but I think this is a great conversation. So let's keep going with it. I think uh, the offensive line and the schedule line up really well with each other for this upcoming season. I think for the first time in several years, uh, our schedule lends itself to allow the offensive line to not only get con- continuity, but confidence early on. We're not starting with a, a, an elite defense or even an average to good defense to start. Uh, there is a pretty good shot that we start the year 4-0, and 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 then you go to 6-0 and pretty easily after that. So there's a, there's a good chance for this offensive line to really build confidence early in the season and be ready to go for, for that back half of the season, which is where we're going to have the most trouble. Zach, you and I have been uh, in pretty lockstep with who we think those starters are, uh, even ran them down last week on the show. We're, what's your thought from week one to week three, knowing what's, what's looming in Lincoln uh, coming in um, on week four? And you've got you've to get that offensive line figured out sooner than later. Yeah, um, your your offensive line is, you know, that's kind of the lifeblood of your team. If you don't have a good one, then you, your offense is going to suffer tremendously, which we've seen. Um, I think whatever your starting five for Ireland is, that needs to be your starting five for the year to build that continuity, to build that uh, basically everyone operating on the same brain, everyone operating as the same unit. Um, outside of injuries happening, I, I – would prefer to not see that starting lineup switched up at all. I think Raiola is doing some really good things up there from what's being said and from just watching him kind of fire off and different things like that. But we've heard that in the past. What about this idea, though, too? The fact that what they have to practice against, practice against now and what Nebraska is putting out there, 4-3, whatever you want it, whatever you want to call it. But those – those tackles are now having to practice every day against an O'Shawn Mathis, against a Garrett Nelson. They've got strong guys in the middle that they've got to work on. It's, I think the what the coaches are seeing probably is more realistic of what they're going to get in the game, meaning they could have a more confident decision and with those starting five. And I think who, whomever is – is stepping up and the the chemistry, the 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 effort, all of those things coming into play, but they're seeing that day in day out at practice. I'm in. I'm trusting that more than I have, and I know it's Rayola's first go around at this, but I think there's so many things that that are now pointing to stronger as a unit, both sides of the ball, that that can't not help the team get better. Yeah, one one thing that you brought up that. I kind of think Nebraska needs to start shifting toward is Nebraska doesn't need to be known as an offensive first team. Let your defense be the calling card for your team. 
you've had a very good one. I'm not going to say elite yet under Chenander. You've had a very good defense, and it's improved every single year underneath him. Why not let that calling card for the program be the defense? You know, going back to pushing the black shirts, doing different things like that to kind of show the one side that you know what you're going to get from. Let that offense do what they're going to do. Push those black shirts. Let the defense be the, the calling card. As good as our defense was last year, and I still expect a little bit more improvement, I I just don't think that we're there yet to just completely rest on that defense. Our offense has to go beyond good to to excellent, great, uh, near elite. I don't know what you want to say. Uh, that defense to me just isn't built to to be our standard calling card yet. I think we're about two years away from that. Yeah, no, I and I, and I don't mean just, you know, hey, we're only going to count on holding them to one touchdown a game and we score nine points and we win. It was more just, hey, let the offense kind of adjust uh, and learn as, as they go, but let, let the defense be the strength of your team is kind of what I was getting at. So um, we're going to take a quick break here. When we return, we are going to talk a little bit more about some of the fall camp things going on and some of the bigger stories. It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. Let's let's uh, talk about some of the stuff that's gone on this last week. Just some bigger, I guess, headlines of fall camp. Uh, something that kinda, kind of stuck out to me was Applewhite's uh, praise of the room and specifically one player, Anthony Grant. And not only Applewhite but also Bill Bush. Uh, he's he's super extremely talented player. Uh, are we worried about burnout at all now? Because sounds like offense, special teams. Are you worried at all about burnout of that young man? Not not even close because of how ru- how deep that room is. Um, you know, we've talked to talked about Anthony Grant at length. Had the pleasure of talking to him and throw it out there, Ramir Johnson and the. I think those are your 1A, maybe 1A-ish, right? And I think those those two are, are, are neck and neck. Um, but I think for that, that burnout, getting back to the original question, I think there's a, a player that hasn't been talked about a lot up until this week who's going to come in and could either um, take take some carries away, which would be a, not a bad thing if that's, if it's, if that's how it's going to work, um, and Anthony Grant is a stud on special teams. We kind of let him do that. But I think we're, Gabe Irvin is going to insert himself into this conversation more and more. We saw what he did uh, pre-injury at Oklahoma. Um, he's, he's, he's stronger. He's bigger this year. He's, up, he's, he's probably carrying 10 to 15 more pounds. Um, and just I like Apple, he's about 215, yeah, if yep, I heard right. Yep, and he came, last year he was playing at two, 205, maybe 210. Um, but he's carrying it well. Um, he's rehabbed and he had a, he had a good, um, he had a good spring and Applewhite was really monitoring how he was coming back off that injury and there's been no apprehension he's had it in right now in the fall. So I think if you, you put him into the conversation as well, um, the burnout that we could see with some, some other guys and carrying the load, not having been in that position before coming in out of a JUCO program. Um, I'm not, I'm not as worried about it as maybe someone else might be. Yeah, I think Anthony Grant is 
probably a, a 15 to 18 touch a game guy, but you know, six of those could be special teams. Uh, Fitz, I'm glad you brought up Irvin. Uh, I've been semi vocal about it this offseason that I thought he was falling down the depth chart and, and losing ground in this battle. The photos of him that came out this week, if you had told me he gained 25 pounds of muscle, I would have believed you, but he said it was 10 to 15. He looks like a different back. Um, they're talking about his speed competing with with Ramir. If if Gabe Irvin is as advertised that, as he was this week, if he can operate at the level that he's being advertised right now, does does Yant fall on that depth chart, and does he fall faster? Does Yant go into like strictly a Monty Ball role? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, because Yant's about two thirty-five right now, so he's your big back that's on roster. Um, I mean, he's still your hammer, regardless. He, he's a guy that you've got running running in the third and fourth quarter when you've got a lead. It's Applewhite has his work cut out for him in that room because honestly, I wasn't expecting Irvin to come back until the season starts before he really started hitting it, but. This offseason and his rehab is, is, has been impressive. Well, and Applewhite has always said from initial interview, he wants that 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D. He's gonna, they're going to find ways. And now let's, let's couple Applewhite with um, Whipple and what he can do to getting the ball to their playmakers. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into this later on as well. But is Ramir Johnson, yeah, he can, he can do – between the tackles if he needs to, but he's also a huge receiving threat. Um, Gabe Irvin is is both. I think Anthony Grant is working on the on the receiving part of it. And Yant is yeah, it's just that just that hammer. And so I think there's a way for all four to get in and we've talked about it before as well. Do we need a one thousand rusher, yard rusher? Probably not. But if we had four guys that were at, you know, 600 a piece or you know and we're closer to 2000 between the group who cares it's it's probably probably means we're getting the job done so i'm i'm right there with you i don't think we need a thousand yard rusher what we do need out of that room though i i think is we need we need a, an expectation of touchdowns out of that room um not necessarily individual yardage but and not not individual rushing yardage as as a group that for that group it's going to be total yardage it's going to be all-purpose all yardage but they they like when we get into the red zone they need to be able to score instead of the running back the quarterback draw if you had to put a number on touchdowns out of that room how many do we need that's oh, so i was going to take zach's lead here with the over under uh, just on that room let's just say that room those four guys if you said that they could score uh 27 and a half touchdowns as a group in the season, where are you at with that? I think you got to go over. I mean, if you want to have the kind of season that you need to have to hit the number that I think you need to hit, um, I do think you need to be over that 27 and a half. I was going to say, I think you need to be in the 30s um, to really have that running game where you want it to be, where you're feeling good. Because uh, that you didn't mention, if that was just receiving, that could be receiving, that could be rushing, that could be kind of anything just from that room. I I'm on the other hand, though, I do think you need that bell cow running back. 
Um, I think you need that guy that you can put out there that you know is going to get that offense into a rhythm. Uh, because one thing that I feel like this team has been missing the last few years on offense has been pet plays. There's been no play that you can put up, put that offense out there and go, I know this is going to get us four yards on first down. Okay, so uh, just kind of building off of the touchdown conversation. Running backs last year combined for 16, 15 or 16 touchdowns. I'm setting the over-under of what you need. At 24. I think if that group produces eight more touchdowns, we win three to four more games. Probably. and But just. But I agree. I, I would love to see the 30s. I think you're going to get more touchdowns out of the receivers as well, though. Did did last year's quarterback count in the running back room? I did not count it in the running back room. that could be up to like 50. But <laughs> I, 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 I'm right. I put that number at 27 and a half. Had no. I was trying to just kind of go through some math in my mind and, and try to figure out where it would need to be. I agree, though. If you if you were to to put you know t- three touchdowns on the ground with your running backs through the air, whatever it is, you know you're at thirty six for the season, and you you talk yourself into certain things based on what you've already said. And I said last week that they're going to average more than forty points a game. And so that number is gonna that number is gonna be have have yeah. to be up there. So I'm I'm on board with I think it's a lot higher than that twenty. So I'm gonna take the overs. I think it's a and it ends up being a lot higher than um, twenty four. I think we could probably I I would probably feel confident taking the the overs on on thirty five if that if that was the number right with what Zach was saying. Beautiful boys. Um, let's go ahead. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, we are going to do a little bit of talk about the uh, wide receiver room here on Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. Drake, you look like uh, you had something that you wanted to jump us into. Yeah, I just want to I want to hit off a couple more fall camp points really quickly. Um, there were some interesting things that came out specifically about the quarterbacks this week. Uh, the one that I found the most interesting was Whipple talking about Richard Torres and telling him, uh, just saying that. Sorry, Fitz is pointing. We were talking about the 25 dumbest sports this week in our group chat, and ESPN has the World Knife Throwing League on, and we're laughing in studio. Better get my odds ready. Anyways, uh, Mark Whipple was on record this week saying Richard Torres showed the, the strongest arm in the room. I found that interesting, being the incoming freshman. and uh, But then Frost is saying it is – Thompson's job to lose, which is kind of what I've been saying all offseason. Zach, what are your thoughts? I know that that hurts you, Mr. Purdy's our, our starter. Well, it's just because Frost hasn't seen a whole lot of practices yet. He's the CEO now, so he's taking a step back. So he hasn't gotten to watch what Purdy's been able to do just yet. So once, you know, they get to Ireland. Because yeah, he's not talking to Whipple at all. All right, Fitz. <laughs> you know the relationship is rocky, guys. I'm totally just I'm totally Is Narduzzi hanging out in Frost's office? <laughs> so <laughs> Frost is the CEO is is at meet and greets and he's at Starbucks having coffee Shaking meetings hands, in the morning. That's what CEOs um, do, guys. Getting, and then he gets he just watches the tape. Is that do what you have we're... any experience in corporate America? Uh look at me. <laughs> do I look like I've got any experience in corporate America? All right, so 
what fits what specifically what are your thoughts on the on the torres comments what does that do for the rest of the room well i think that's what my my big question was going to be so if frost says that it's thompson's job to lose which i think we were all kind of reading the tea leaves on that one Wrong. i think the, I think the question Zach. comes down to now that quarterback two, that race is on so there's a there's probably a large contingent of people that are that are confident that purdy will will be the backup he's he's gotten some good reviews as well uh sounds like he's a good locker room guy uh and and has has the ability well you're now getting comments from uh the staff on torres like you said his arm strength we've we heard things coming out of spring and even over the summer from from whipple talking about uh harburg on on his ability to throw and his in his um his movement has gotten uh, quicker. It's it's shorter, and so the ball's getting out and say. Then they've they've really broken that down, and then you've got Logan Smothers, and so let's let's take Purdy, Smothers, Torres, and Harburg. I think you're you're now looking at that race for two and three. But going back to the to the question, I believe you're pumping up a a player who probably has some ability who's coming off an injury, but you're also using that as a way to. Um, get some more from Smothers, maybe Harburg, things like that. So it's intentional. Uh, it's it's probably right there. So I think, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, I think that quarterback two race is going to is going to be interesting. I guarantee we're going to see uh, Purdy in the Northwestern game. Yeah. Uh, I, personally, I think it is a little bit of a recruiting job by Whipple, too. Torres is not a guy that he recruited. Um, but it sounds like Torres might fit this offense better than any of us had kind of imagined. Uh, let's move on. We want to talk about the wide receiver room. We're going to go over our top six. Uh, the guys were kind of, you know, busting my chops here because I have more than six. Yeah, on how many here. are we going to talk about? The wide receiver room, all of them. No, okay. Like in the Big Ten because that's what the list no, looks like. Listen, listen. Here, Here's my caveat to this. I, I have two lists built out. One – because of who who starts, I think starting quarterback matters in that conversation. Um, and also, I think a guy that's not getting the run, but can play a big part of this because it is Thompson's job to lose. You've got Chris Olave on here. Mark, <laughs> <laughs> I think Marcus Washington is being left out of the conversation. But if he can pick up that offense, his connection with Thompson gives him a leg up. Uh, but if Marcus Washington doesn't pick up the offense, my my first receiver that I expect to see a huge jump out of this year is Elante Brown. So I have them as 1-1. If Marcus Washington doesn't pick up the offense, I don't think he's a factor this year, period. Yeah, he's an interesting one because he got here so late. Right, exactly. I mean, he's just – physically, he's – damn, he's fast. He's just he's, – he's got that straight line speed. He can run routes. I mean, he's he's a good pickup – um, I'm going to go with, I've got Ramir Johnson is kind of my guy that I think is going to, for the record, I started at one, Zach started at six. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's why I started where I did. Cause I'm teasing. That's what we do in the industry. Um, uh, you're, I, you're teasing your hair. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, I, I think that Ramir is going to make enough receptions that he's going to be, look. <laughs> I think he's going to be top seven in the, uh, receiving room this year with the amount of catches he gets. I'm going to go on the same kind of line here. Starting and at Drake, number you could have started wherever you wanted to on this list. You could have started in the middle. <laughs> he could have started at 27 because that's how many he has written down. 
I'm going to go with a uh, a player that s- didn't start in this room and walks back and forth across the hall between two rooms and our guy, Chancellor Brewington, uh, the destroyer of souls. Uh, and I think he's going to be somebody we that— nickname him Bone Crusher now? Yeah. I, I think we're going to see him more in that receiving role. Um, is he going to— is he going to be in that tight end position? I'm, I'm sure he is, but it's not going to be, you know, to to block as much as it is just to destroy people and then get out and, and catch. So I think he's going to be a pleasant surprise, and, and I'm putting him a little bit of a wild card there for uh, the top six. I got to say real quick before, since we brought up Brewington, one of my favorite things that we talked about with Ty Robinson was how amped up the defensive players on the sideline got seeing – Brewington going in motion because they knew that he was going to light someone up. The defense on the sideline was getting amped up, knowing that what yeah, was they coming. like walk out of their their sideline huddle to watch that play. They, they watch people get their souls. Still, it was great. Okay, I'm going to go with my number two difference maker um, and three at the same time because I think they're they're tied. Uh, Trey Palmer and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. I think those guys. It doesn't matter who's going to play. Uh, they're going to be difference makers in that wide receiver room. Do you think the elite speed is what it doesn't it doesn't matter? So since you brought them up are, and you kind of got them on the same realm, are you thinking just offense? Are you thinking special teams? Do you think kind of all over the place? Or well, I think Trey Palmer is going to make a huge impact on special teams. I mean, he was he was darn near elite in the SEC, uh, which is why the Bill Bush comments about Anthony Grant being the starter at, at kick returner. Uh, really makes me excited because we kind of thought that was Trey Palmer's job to lose. And if Anthony Grant is, you know, on that same level in even being named above him, that that's great news for for some of that hidden yardage we've talked about losing in, in the return game. Since now, is one of them going to fair catch kickoffs inside the five? I hope so. Let's take that 25-yard line. I mean, the, I think those guys are both so explosive that they can make a play happen just about anywhere on the field. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see what they do. I'm going to go um, Brody Belt. Just comments earlier in the offseason uh, that, that Coach Mickey Joseph had mentioned about him being the best overall football player that they've got um, on that offensive side of the ball was, was impressive to me. Now, granted, they've gotten some guys in there still. But I think Brody Belt's – he does that uh, dirty work that nobody else wants to do, and he does it, and he makes it look easy. Um, so I think Brody Belt's going to have a big year in the offense. May not show up numbers-wise, but he's going to be all over the place. So um, I'm excited to see Brody Belt this year. Okay, so we we talk at nauseum every time Mickey Joseph says something about that room. Do his comments this week worry either of you? Because that's also kind of why my list has multiple names on different lines. Uh he was not happy with the receiver room day one this week. They don't they don't worry me. I'm just glad to hear that that's what's going on. There is a standard that has been set when he got off the plane. That standard was set for what he wanted in that wide receiver room. And you can go back and you could probably put things side by side on your screen, whether it's video or articles. And he was saying the exact same thing at LSU that he's saying here. And if if how he is pushing them and he wants somebody to step up and he says right now I'm the only one that's that's leading and I can't go out there and catch passes you know type of thing I think that's great because he needs somebody to step up he's challenging them 
he's going to love them as much as he, he will continue to do that, but he's going to push them, and he's going to challenge them. And if we get somebody that can come out and be a Justin Jefferson, if we can get a chart, you know, all these guys that he's been able to coach up from when they came in as freshmen to when they leave third year, fourth, whatever it is, by all means do it. It's intentional. and it's, I agree. I agree. Fitz, who you got next? Uh, my number five is a little bit lower than probably uh, your list as well as, as, as Zach's here, but Elante Brown. I just think for him, um, he has the tools. I think he just has to kind of find his role in this new offense. Uh, and when he does that, he's going to be he's going to be dynamic and a, a playmaker. Zach, who's your five? Or I'm sorry, Drake. I got out of order here. <laughs> uh, my number four, five. Uh, again, two guys and. For these guys, it is about staying healthy. Omar Manning, Oliver Martin. Oliver Martin last year showed the opportunity to be elite. He just had trouble staying on the field. Another guy that can factor into special teams. Omar Manning is somebody that I feel like, as a fan base, we were tired of hearing the name and not seeing the production. But he has one of the most elite catches Um on the team last year, and it was his touchdown at Oklahoma. That was an NFL catch, and he's shown the ability at times. Now we want the consistency, uh, and same thing for Oliver Martin. So if those guys can stay healthy, I think they actually move up this list, but for both of them, it, I'm in wait-and-see mode. Yeah, Manning's an interesting fellow just because he's got the NFL body. He's got the speed. He's got the catch radius. Pretty much everything you'd want of an NFL guy just we haven't seen it consistently on the field. And I think when when all of us seen that Oklahoma catch last year, it was a, oh, my God, this is what this dude can do. It reminded me of Maurice Purify's uh, go-ahead touchdown at Texas A&M. Yep, it's that iconic moment where you just see him go up, catch it, and yeah. yeah. It was a great picture. Well, we're going to take a quick break here um, on uh, Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. When we come back, we'll tee, or we'll finish up with the uh, second half of our uh, receiver rating. Now back to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Thanks for coming back to Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone. Oh, God. Um, we're going to break down our second half of our wide receiver list. So... Drake, before we went to break, you finished this up with it was Omar Manning and who's your second Oliver one? Martin. Oliver Martin, <laughs> stay healthy. At, at place seven point two eight. <laughs> Perfect fits. You go ahead with your next one. Uh my uh where are we at? My number four is uh Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. I know he's higher on some of the other lists, but I mean to my to what I feel is a really really strong and deep wide receiver room, he's he's new, um, but he's he's an absolute stud. He's got speed to burn, uh, can get up and get the ball. Um, I just think again, it really kind of goes into line right with what I said with Elante Brown. You find that role for him, um, and we kind of determine maybe who's going to be in the slot, who's going to be outside, um, you know, those sorts of things. But I think he has a a strong year. Um, and you know, I'm not the only one and I'm not the first one to say it, but he's going to play that Samari Toure role, I think to perfection. And, um, it's going to be exciting. And he has a, he has a whole new element to that Samari Toure role. I think a little bit faster, um, and, and larger can go get the ball. I think he is an NFL type wide receiver and it's just going to make 
it's just going to make the offense look that much better because I think we have multiple potential NFL guys at that position instead of just one at a time. Yeah, I Palmer and Brown, Alante Brown to me are really similar, I think. Um just because I feel like they've got uh, very good speed. Um they're quick but also fast. I mean, I I I know most guys are either quick or fast, but they're both. They can take a route, a short route and go 80 on you. Just because they get the foot in the ground and go. Um, those are my next two is, is Trey Palmer and, and Alante Brown. I think they're going to have this, a similar type impact this season on special teams, on the offensive side of the ball. And I think really they're going to be rotating at that slot position. So I think you're going to be seeing a lot of a lot of those two. Okay, I got to ask this because Alante Brown, Trey Palmer, and even uh, Garcia Castaneda have been thrown around in that slot conversation a lot lately. Did I miss something that Omar Manning isn't working in the slot anymore? I know he was to start the offseason, but yeah, then it, it kind of went away pretty quickly. It was a headline for a week or two. I I just I feel like he's in, in the slot and Alante's outside and somewhere along the lines as a fan base we've we flipped them on our own. Well I think I, I, I think, don't think anything has changed. And I think Whipple no, I think Whipple I, I'd have to go back and look. Um Whipple talked about or in, in some sort of a soundbite that they had a different idea on the type of body that they wanted in that slot. And I think it just pushes Omar. It doesn't push him all the way outside. But, you know, the the slot, you think of that of that a couple yards, foot in the ground and go versus you push him out, you push him one spot outside further. And now he's, I think Omar Manning is your, as you said, Murray's purify, but he could run you know, you need eight yards. He's going to run ten. He's going to post up, and he's going to catch that with his frame. Um, but at the same time, you know, he could run up and 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 drag, dig. I just think for what he can do with his size and his speed, that's where I believe that change was. And I I think it was public. I think there was discussion about it. See, I, I'm remembering wrong because I thought that conversation about the different body came first, and then Omar Manning in the slot came second because that is a different body type than. In your everyday slot, yeah. But I could be misremembering. Uh, the, just uh, something that I've found interesting throughout wide receiver discussions. Yeah, you usually don't put a six foot five guy at wide at uh, your slot, slot position, but then again, he's a major mismatch against your slot corner. He's usually a smaller guy. Your linebacker is not as fast, and or then your safety. safety is not nearly as big. Yeah. So I mean, it's a matchup nightmare that maybe the maybe in the red zone that's what you see. Which God, I feel like that'd be great because. That wide receiver room has turned into a small basketball team. Yeah. Well, I'll take who we were just talking about, and I'll I'll put my two and three together as well. I've, for three, I had uh, Omar Manning. Um, we just I we I don't think we've seen yet what his potential can be, um, and I I know we know that he wants to put it out there, and I think he could he could be a, a somebody that can quarterbacks can really lean on and could have a breakout year. Uh, my number two then is Oliver Martin. We've heard from a number of players. Uh, different things, his route running ability and his speed when he is right is 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 right there with, with everybody. And so I think for somebody that could run some precise routes, getting the ball on time, uh, getting the ball where he needs it at, to be able to do his stuff after the catch as well, I think he's going to be I, he, he's a little bit of that, somebody you're not going to talk about, but I, he's going to play a big role 
Uh, so Omar, Omar Manning and Oliver Martin are my uh, number three and my number two. Uh, my my number four is J- uh, Jaron Bonner. There's been a lot of talk about the way he looks. Um, he's come in ready to play. I, I think he does. I We've talked about him a lot. Fitz loves him. I think he's going to get more than his four games. Um, but the comparison to him, you know, if Kamate Grimes is ready to go, maybe he doesn't. They're, they're built the exact same way. Grimes has already got a year under his belt um, learning in that wide receiver room. I just, I've heard more about Bonner, and I, I think he, I still think he's more ready than Kamate Grimes. Yep, Bonner was, uh, and he was a late flip in the recruiting cycle, too, from Georgia Tech, I believe. Um, he's he's built like <clears throat> like he's already been in the program for years, and it's the most insane thing that he's built like a redshirt sophomore already. Yeah. Um, he's got the skills. He's a guy that I think a year, I think he's probably a year, maybe two away, but you get that under Joseph. Absolutely uh, could be a freak. Um, I, I've got Omar is my number one. I think he's got to have that breakout year. We've all been waiting for it. Um, I think he's got to be that big-bodied number one receiver that you can throw a jump ball to and say, it's third and ten, man. we got to have you make a play here. Um, I don't think that'll be a staple of the offense, but I feel like it's something if you're going to stretch the field you've got to have. I feel like he's got to be that guy that does it with size, not speed. I I hope, you know, um, with him, I, I hope we see him utilized in the red zone a lot more than our big receivers have under under the Scott Frost staff. Um, some, you know, two-step drops, back corner fades to a guy like Omar Manning with his size and ability is tough to stop at, at the college level. And I feel like we actually have a quarterback now who is confident in throwing the back shoulder throw. Chubba. Um so I think I think our receivers are going to play a much bigger factor, especially those big receivers and a guy like Thomas Fedoni in the red zone, which I'm excited about. Yeah, well, real quick, uh, and this was something I caught earlier in the week since you brought up Fedoni. Did you kind of catch the little nugget that he, if if he needed to, he could be playing today, but they're kind of taking it a little bit more cautious with the tear in the knee or whatever's going on with the knee? I'm not breaking any news, by the way. I was I was a little bit surprised. I kind of had to read it a couple of times. You know, you see him. I think there was a picture of him catching a ball in practice. Yeah, as yeah. well. And it just kind of. I'm just happy he's got a brace on. I'm, he's got he's got a brace. Um, he is he is said though too. He's 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 more than willing to be patient. Um, he doesn't need it to rush. Becton has said that you know what we're we know his talent, but we also want his talent for three years, four years, whatever it is, get him healthy on the field. So, um, you know, if they don't if they don't need to use him. The first three games, and he comes back, and he can be a difference maker against Oklahoma. Great if it if it waits another couple of weeks, but he is fit and he is ready to go. He's been very vocal That's, on Twitter about yeah. being ready to go this season. And I and I I don't think anyone knows the extent of what this second injury was. So what he's coming back from, I know that it's it's been out there that it was uh, it was an ACL, but you know if you know there's a the running back. I, I want to I'm going to mess up the school Auburn. Somebody that came back um, six months out and was ready to go last year and and did that, but I mean that just gives you a, a wild card that you maybe weren't planning on. And his ability to high point to buy, his ability to get between the ball and a defender and make that tough catch that that's something that could be 
huge as well. And Travis Vokalek is is kind of forgotten in this conversation too about being that yeah. kind of athlete. So well, my number one's Trey Palmer because he is a stud. But that's that's all I got for him. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome, gentlemen. Well, when we return uh, to Church of the Corn, we will be joined by On Three's very own Brian Munson to talk recruiting. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking. Now we are joined by On Three's very own Brian Munson to help get us up to date on the world of recruiting. Brian, how are you doing today, my man? Good morning, guys. I was just telling I was just telling your producer that I was uh, watching Woodstock '99 Trainwreck on Netflix. It is one of the absolute best like documentaries I've seen in a long time. Is it better than the Fire Festival ones? I don't know if I've seen that one yet, but this one is like three hours, and it ranges from like totally hilarious to completely and totally tragic. And it is just it, it's a it is a train wreck. The whole thing is just an absolute train wreck. Um, but yeah, it is it is fascinating. I, I had learned so much about that festival like in these couple hours this morning, like just watching it. It's unbelievable. It's crazy to think that you know that happened in 99 and the and the run-up to it was pretty exciting hey we're going to bring this back and then obviously it was a complete disaster, disaster. i'm more impressed that brian was up early enough to watch multiple hours of this documentary <laughs> on a saturday morning hey come on <laughs> you know what you know what the other thing is like fascinating about that is the red hot chili peppers and jewel look the same as they did 23 years ago it's unbelievable it's like totally uncanny they look the same so i, I don't know I, I don't know what's more amazing that or the whole entire show is it the drugs or the lack of drugs that have helped them from aging <laughs> money money buys longevity money buys longevity they they can they can fix a lot of things with that capital well let's uh as fun as this try to, i know trying to I've, I've been sitting here for about the last 30 seconds like i'm gonna have a great segue into our recruiting talk and i really couldn't come up with one um so let's just jump right in and we had the news of last week's decommitment of ashley williams jr out of louisiana um he he goes to he, he says on on social media that he's still going to take a visit um he said he was 111 percent committed i guess we needed 112 uh decommits goes down to auburn for a, a barbecue cookout and then we now we we hear that uh he has now committed as of the last what 24 hours is that did was this something that was on your radar as a as a definite and i guess kind of let's dig a little bit deeper any any ideas on why you think this did happen yeah, completely predictable. Um, <clears throat> so let's start out with Auburn, with Ashley. Uh, Auburn was his first SEC offer. He had a he had a very, very soft spot for Auburn to begin with. And, and Auburn's class, honestly, before Ashley committed, and they were talking to Cameron Lenhart too, they had four players in that class. They had four commitments as of like July 27th. You know, I'm just trying to randomly think of a date. About It was about a week ago, but that's about right. And I don't think, and I mentioned this to, to Robin and, and Steve Sipple and a couple other guys I was talking with on the site, I go, I couldn't even imagine what Nebraska fans' reaction would be right now if the, the Huskers only had four commitments in the 2023 class. But that's literally what was going on um, with Auburn. Um, so kind of 
kind of taking all that into the into the into the equation, um, there's also where Ashley Williams' official visit took place. It was on a very very big weekend. It was that that first weekend in June. So you get you get Malachi, you're getting Maverick, you're getting uh, the Georgia guys, you're getting Ashley Williams, etc. So there's a huge weekend. So you're and the way that the official visit had worked almost to that well basically all the way through the month of June except for basically one position was that the earlier that you were being brought in you could tie to it some priority to it for Nebraska and the one position however that seemed that that was oddly flipped was edge and it wasn't Maverick Noonan it was really Ashley Williams and Cameron Lenhart. Lenhart as it turned out wasn't this was known back in the end of May wasn't coming in until the last weekend in June. And yet he was higher on the board for Nebraska than Ashley Williams was. And that's not saying anything about Ashley Williams being a bad player. Clearly he's either committed or going to be committing to, to Auburn had offers from, from Minnesota and, and others in other schools uh, around the nation. So I, I think he ended up picking up official offers from Washington and SMU uh, to boot. So Clearly a very, very good player, but Lenhart, I think, had some of the qualities that really Nebraska was kind of looking for. If you put on the film for Lenhart, that's a dude that when you put him out there into pass defense and, and dropping into space and, and having to jam a guy, he is comfortable. He, he, and he's, he's got that capability to kind of do the things that you're looking for out of that spot, like a, a Caleb Tanner, for example, which is what, what, which is the comparison they obviously they were giving to him. You can certainly see it. He's, he's comfortable being in that space and he's, he's got that ability to also get off the line and he's got some great pass rush skills. This is also very much a leader. He's going to be the, the defensive captain for IMG. So if you go back to the pecking order, Lenhart was ahead of, of Williams Um and I think that there's just a classical um, kind of case of, of miscommunication. You know, what we talked about it on, on the board, and it was like basically after like July 11th, uh, the dust had settled. You know, you, you kind of got to this point following June where all the official visits were taking place, and then like 90% of all the guys that had taken official visits anywhere, they were all off the board. And, and you're sitting there going, man, this is such a wild set of circumstances all these guys literally are, are gone or done, and this is the way classes are being built now. So if you're hanging on much past like that week after the fourth, you're either going to be a four-star, five-star people, you know, trying to stab each other to get your commitment, or you're going to be left without a spot. And I think that that's classically like where where things were kind of at for, for Ashley, not necessarily for Lenhart, because Nebraska was going to be there until he wanted to kind of do things. And, and I think – where Nebraska kind of always stood at when it came to their official visits, they would always get a readout about where those guys are at with their commitment dates and whatever. And, you know, Ashley accelerated his time frame. And, I, and there, there is some speculation that because he tried to jump into Minnesota and there wasn't a spot for him. And so there was a little bit of panic potentially that was there and decided to go ahead and jump back in and try to get into Nebraska. So, and I think then you just had the miscommunication between, a regional recruiter that's doing a, a terrific job keeping all the guys in his area warm and not being aligned with what the other side of the football staff's big board really was and what their priorities were. Well, and that, that, um, that brings up the we, – we've talked about, and I think you've mentioned it too, the idea that 
there wasn't a lot of press. There wasn't a lot of kind of fanfare and different things coming out from the university side, from the football staff side after that right. commitment. And so you started reading into that. But then getting what you just said about not having a spot at Minnesota then really kind of validates the idea that um, Williams even kind of mentioned the idea that I was I was taking a spot. You know, it's it was yeah. much it was less of a commitment than it was just yeah. holding a spot. I'm I'm calling into Olive Garden to get a reservation, um, and if if I can if I can get into Texas Roadhouse later, I'm going to take that instead. So it just kind it, of exactly, it, exactly. You you hit the nail on the head. It's like there was there was a need to just get a spot in a class, and if something came along better, they were going to go ahead and consider it and, and potentially jump at it. And if that's the way recruiting is these days. That's fine. I mean, I, I, I know that schools aren't trying to play it that way. Is and, it and really this, fine? Go, that didn't sound fine. No, I'm, I'm fine. That was me kind of lamenting. Oh, okay. I, I, there's, there's, there are so many things on top of that with <clears throat> NIL and, and other things that I'll term as, as garbage that I, I'm not a huge fan of when it comes to college recruiting. I'm having to adjust my style and kind of take it all in. But, I mean, it's part of the game now, so I'm having to. But it's not hitting me as part of being like more the traditional college football fan where you saw the guys that were amazingly excited to go ahead and play the game. And now all of a sudden this, this, this era of, of money is entering into the lives way sooner as opposed to just kind of making the best decision about your education, about where to go. And, and, and really a lot of things about geographical things that were, we would kind of play in more often than not, or the guys that would go across the country to go play at another school that were always fascinating now you've got another kind of stimulus to kind of throw into all that. It just, it to me, it it muddies the water, and not and it's and it's and it's the reason why I think that NIL is just kind of off the rails. I just don't feel like it's in the spirit of what Sam Keller was suggesting, you know, way back in the day, uh, of getting a little bit of coin off of uh, an NCAA football game. Now all of a sudden is just like it's it's. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what some of these numbers are that these kids are getting that are getting thrown around in their evaluations. It's just amazing to me. Brian, um, it seems like Lenhart is obviously trending towards Nebraska. Is he the next domino yep. to fall, or or do you think Malachi Coleman goes before him? No, I think that Lenhart Lenhart roughly said that he was going to probably make a decision before the start of the season. And I do think things are trending positively there for Nebraska. Obviously it would have to be positive given the fact that, you know, Nebraska is in this position now where they had Ashley in the boat, they could have gone ahead and said, well, we got our two edge rushers. And if, you know, if something else changes with our roster, potentially we can go out there and get a portal transfer guy later on in the, in the season. Um, but they decided instead to go ahead and, and wait it out and try to get Lenhart in the boat. So I think things are trending very positively with Lenhart just kind of reading the tea leaves there. I think Malachi, at his October date, you're probably looking at at least Lenhart jumping in. You probably will have heard something on uh, um, uh, Lance Hurd, uh, probably potentially either down to like Nebraska and LSU there. Um, you might have heard something on Ryan Robinson Jr., uh, and, and that's going to be a really interesting one, too, because I'm not sure if there's a spot currently, you know, to go along with Boodle in the class. So it's going to be really interesting to see how things kind of play out through the fall camp up to that point wherever Robinson wants to go ahead and make a decision. 
Yeah, it seems like there's quite a few guys out there that they've got that can possibly commit. So it's going to be interesting to see how everything kind of <clears throat> finishes up with the class. But, uh, Brian, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we, we definitely appreciate it after having you off last week. So we're, we're glad to have you back here. Um, we hope you have a great weekend, Brian. All right. Do the same, guys. See you. Awesome. Thanks, my man. When we come back, we're going to help you guys make a little bit of money by passing out the collection plate here on 1620 The Zone. It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We are going to try and help you guys make a little bit of money with our bets this weekend. So, Fitz, I'm guessing you want to go last because you've always got your uh, strange bets, right? Or do you want to go first today? You want to go first? Or okay, so you want to go last. Um, Start us off, Zach. That's, well, and see, that's I'm kind of torn on where I want to go here, but there's not a whole lot. So I'm going to go with, I, I guess, can we do preseason football too? I, I don't know. It doesn't matter, right? Um, Let's see. You can do whatever you want. The event has to be today. Have or you, the weekend. Have you seen my last, heard my last two weeks? You can do whatever you want. <laughs> That's very true. I'm going to go, I'll go with baseball. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with the Cubs over the Marlins. Uh, it's an even betting line, but I'm going to go Cubs over the Marlins. I'll go, I'm going to go Phillies over the Nationals, which I feel like is a pretty easy pick. And then let's go with a later evening game. I'm going to go with the Rockies in an upset over the Diamondbacks. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go baseball as well because that's really all that anything is going on, at least that we know of. I'm sure Fitz will pull something out. Uh, I'm going to take the Astros uh, on the money line, minus 154. I'm going to take the Giants over the Athletics, minus 220. I think the Giants finally turn it around. At least I hope they do. Uh and then my last bet, I am going to take the Padres tonight at plus 135 over the Dodgers. That improved lineup is interesting, to say the least. Padres are now musty baseball. And then I'm going to end the day with $100 single spot, 73 at Kino. That is where, that's the only place I've been winning money lately, folks. So go ride it out. I, I hope you win some money today so that you can give me money. <laughs> that's that's the only reason I hope for you to win money. Yeah, no, we're looking at you. All right. I'm Sir ready. Fitzwell, I'm what you to, got? What's I'm, the Sherpa got for you today? I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's see what you got, Fitzgerald. Um, we got a, uh, an 11.30 kickoff this morning, so you've got uh, a couple hours here to get some, not quite a couple hours. I'm going to take uh, Chelsea over Everton at uh, minus 175. Uh, it's, a, it's a gimme. Uh, jump over to baseball, and uh, as a uh, upset, let's go for the underdog here. We're going to take the Mets over Atlanta at uh, minus one twenty, and then we know that, or we know that Drake declared uh, this weekend, today, whatever. But considering he had twenty seven wide receivers and didn't follow the rules on that exercise, nor am I. So I'm going to go on a futures bet that you can get in on, and it's the uh, will any of these items be added to the McDonald's menu in the 2022? And a lot of people would take the easy way out, go with the McRib, but I'm going to go right in the middle at plus five hundred that the fried apple pie will be back uh, before Preach. the end of the. 
2022 fiscal year. What is the line on that? And and when plus five hundred. When you is listening? McDonald's? Uh, when is McDonald's fiscal year end? Uh, December thirty first. Do I don't think that that's true. Fact? No, I don't even know I, what fiscal means, but it's the end of the year. So let's just go with it. You said the end of the fiscal year. <laughs> oh, I meant frisky, frisky year. Okay. So I, I'm more, I'm more. Where in- did you find this line? Where did you find this? We back? have this conversation before. It's called Google. I don't understand all these questions. Can I, I got to know because we're going to be closing this up in, in a little bit anyway. But what are some other items that are on this bed? Okay. I have to so know. So you've got, you've got the McRibbit. One fifty plus one fifty. All right. Pretty pretty obvious. That's that's, com- that's coming and yeah. going. Uh, they've got something called Mighty Wings at plus one seventy five. Never heard of them. They've got a McPizza at uh, plus three hundred. If they you know follow, I if would they be follow Taco Bell's, if they follow Taco Bell's line, you know, may- and that one maybe that I see. So I'll have to I'll have to report they brought later. The Mexican pizza back. Yes. Yes. Again. Yeah, after they sold out after two weeks. It's Which coming it, back next month. Just, um, just saying that it's, it's good that they brought it back. Some people on the Twitterverse are wrong. And the uh, it's good that they brought the Mexican pizza Absolutely. back. Absolutely. I wish they would bring back Baja sauce. Oh, that, yeah. Baja. That, was, that was the move. Well, you can buy it at Hy-Vee now. Can you really? Oh, yeah. yeah a little jug of it. I got <sighs> some in my house. Yeah, in a little squirt bottle. I put on everything. Game changer. Degenerate. We've got Game the changer. Arch Deluxe at plus seven fifty. Onion Nuggets at plus twelve hundred. A couple of these, I, I don't even know if they had them on the menu. And Ugh. I'm just, I'm just going out on a, a limb here, and I'm guessing it's, it's Drake's favorite. It's the Mick DLT at plus three thousand. So if that comes through, might have some <laughs> winners. Uh, <laughs> is the Choco Taco on that list? That is gone, and it is like, a, like. Sad day in history from social media. I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. The Choco Taco is trash. I was oh. always a strawberry shortcake guy. They never like made that, that into a taco. Me. Yeah, they never made it into a taco. But like that was always the move, man. How about how about let's was go it back. the move? It was never made. I I don't think it. I don't think that's the move. No, it was it was the move. Yeah, it was made by good humor. If McDonald's needs to bring anything back, it's the idea that you could take in your kids in their sports uniforms and get a free Sunday. That was glorious. I don't know if you guys some of us don't have kids, so can I bring my dogs? Is that an acceptable thing? How about three value meals for under thirty (laughs) dollars? Can we bring that idea back? The true dollar menu. Yeah. How about you fix the ice cream machine? I mean, so there's a website called McBroken. I think it's McBroken.com. And it lists all of the working and broken ice cream machines in your area. Oh, it's I, pretty fantastic. There's like four of them that work in the whole city of Omaha. Okay, so is it is it broken, or just well, people not wanting to work? People and not wanting to put, clean it. Mostly, put some. Yeah, the cleaning on those. It, it's a it hassle. Sucks. Yeah, I remember. I had to clean a. It's soft called serve. a job. No, like it's, it's taking a, the parts, it's an endeavor, taking though. it apart, yeah, is is a pain. And quite you would honest, be, you would be someone's hero if you were took pride in that and worked at a McDonald's and everyone knew that that ice cream was going to be operating. But here's my question: You can go to, you know, we're not going to do any free advertising here. You can go to about seventy five different gas stations around town and get an ice cream cone out of cone out of their machine. Every day of the week and every hour of the day, and they always. I'm not, work. I'm not eating ice cream. Yeah, I'm gas not eating station. gas station no, ice cream. Absolutely not. You're telling me you're not going into you're not going into BP or Casey's and getting a soft serve ice cream cone? No, you're, I won't you go do into it yourself. Casey's. You make it yourself. Absolutely you make it yourself. not, sir. 
Casey's Taco Pizza is fabulous, by the way. Um, yeah, no, I'm not. Dude, we're not going to give away free advertising. Here's free advertising. Well, I mean, Conrad is just poo-pooing on Casey's. Yeah, no, I'm not getting gas station soft serve. I'll go to Dairy Queen or the Dairy Chef and wait in line. Talk about free advertising. Do you eat gas station hot dogs? No. There was what one time, wrong? yeah. Didn't we? Did I we mean, have I've an, been known did to we do have we, we, we used to make quick trick runs when we were kids. Did we, vet, did we vet our co-host here? What? I don't eat gas station hot dogs. What's the big deal? You've had 17 energy drinks this morning, but yet you won't eat a gas station hot dog. No, I'll I'll eat a taquito. <laughs> I just don't like gas station hot dogs. <laughs> I, I'm so confused on your dietary choices at this point. I'm intermittent fasting, but during that small window I can eat, I still eat like crap. We'll we'll finish this conversation in the church basement over a cup of coffee and some cookies. This I don't is... want to go to any basement with you. <laughs> for Zach, for Drake, for Fitz, <laughs> thanks for joining us on Church of the Corn this week, everybody. Have a great weekend.